Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Miller's Gaming Podcast. Yep, the big two and the five. This is a milestone, 25 episodes. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm just trying not to cause issues having to edit it later if I'm too loud going the woohoo cheer thing. So uh, apologies for that. Anyway, uh, if you like the podcast, please uh, like, comment, subscribe, uh, etc. Five star ratings boost on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you very much. So, uh, updates on the channel first. Um, got a new video out. Actually, partly related to some news this week. So, I'm not going to talk about the Stadia stuff much in here. Because I've already made a video on it. So, go and watch it. Uh, other videos I've got coming up. Um, going to have some nice stuff. Another visual review at some point. Which is going to be a bit uh, spoopy. So, um, look forward to that. And other things. So, um, let's begin. So I'm going to start with the gaming news, and there's quite a bit of gaming news today. And then, what have I been playing at the end? But mainly gaming news. So as I mentioned at the start, Google Stadia is now shutting down. All game and add-on content purchases were made through it are being refunded by mid-January next year, because that's when it's like it's closing on January 13th. So yeah, um, but nutshell, basically, good people are getting refunded for their hardware and purchases, but it's bad because a lot of eco-waste will be generated because all this Google Stadia hardware will now become bricks. So, a lot of waste is going to get made. And I talk about that in the video, I'm not going to go into detail here because I'm not repeating myself. Because, uh, yeah, 15-minute video, go watch it. I'll link it in the description of the podcast, description episode. So that's there. And... But I want to say one thing I didn't include in there. It kind of is a little bit funny in a way because in July, the official PR account was like, oh, we're totally not shutting it down. We're still promising to keep stuff going and stuff like that. The kind of, the funny thing in like, yeah, you're chatting shit. And apparently a lot of the staff on the ground floor were blindsided by the news as well as actually a lot of developers, even though it's about to launch games on the thing. So yeah, it was just a mess for Google, which is not good and uh, could have easily been avoided. So huge shame for people wanting to launch games on it. Huge shame for people who bought one. And Google, you should have managed to share better. So there's all that. And yeah, go watch the YouTube video on my channel because that talks about um, eco waste more because that's an aspect of it that's not been talked about much. Because you know, capitalism and consumerism, they uh, get along really well, even though. They're both bad, especially the former. Next up, uh, I'm going to acknowledge the GTA 6 leaks because this is something that obviously, like, it happened not long after I published the last episode, so I'm only bringing it up now, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, go into detail about, about what happened because at this point it's been widely publicised. It's basically the biggest leak in video game history. So basically, over 90 videos of GTA 6 got leaked, which are early in development and not ready to show to the public. Uh, by a hacker trying to extort Take Two, wanting a ransom and money and stuff like that. All were leaked on a forum, then got taken down. Take Two sent out the legal ninjas, uh, confirmed some of the leak info, like the dual protagonist, and it's set in a more modern Vice City, and all that kind of thing, and all that drama. And then a hacker got caught, and is apparently a 17-year-old British boy, and part of a hacking group, not confirmed by police formally, but by journos. Unless it's that was done since I wrote these notes, because I wrote these notes a few days ago. And uh, yes, I actually delayed recording this, because more news happened. So, which is kind of, it's kind of later, by the way. And uh, yeah, apparently he's been going to Proxford or something like that. This guy was like named, but... Well, not named, but the location was named. And the fact that he's from 
part of this group. The group was named. I forgot the name of the group, but the kid's name, because he's under 18, is not been named. So, and probably for the best, because having your name out there for this wouldn't be very good because of whole like damaging for the future and stuff like that. But it's like, so, um, I've got a few different thoughts. First one is, I mean, I kind of almost respect the kid's level of talent. Like, it's clear he has talent, but it just needs to be directed to a proper place that's more constructive for society as well as himself. But because this has damaged his life, like, he's going to be the, the guy who's basically blacklisted from tech industry. Basically, he's not going to work in it now because this stuff's happened. And he'll look on record and he'll probably be in prison for years as well and have a lot of money to pay back these companies when they're done with him in the, in the courts. And I also think it's part of it, a thing of Tory austerity because this kid was apparently at home a lot on the computer, according to his dad, because his dad did an interview, and apparently it's one of the things. And so I'm not surprised that like Tory austerity and shutting down of youth centres has happened in this country is likely part reason why he was on the computer all day. Because if you've got nothing to do outside, of course your kids are going to sit inside and play video games, especially if they can't go to the library or other youth centres that were shut down. So that's part of it as well, most likely. So it's also still bad because the work of the devs on the ground, it got leaked out before it was ready to be shown, which is quite devastating for them. Because now people were making like awful comments on what was shown, thinking it was representative of the final product, which is not. And we're going, oh, it looks bad. Like, yes, of course, a game that's early in development is going to look like shit, Barnaby. It will look like shit because it's not finished. And you will, like, if you're a game developer, you will get the graphics and stuff last, not first. You have to make sure the actual core mechanics work. And don't do it first. It's just, wow. It just shows that ignorant people are, and just like, fucking hell. Anyway. Now on to news relating to Porosna, or Persona. Um, there was also some Merc announced, which I'm not covering here, because there was other, like, Tats, like Bushy Road are doing a collab with them. Another company is just more Japan-only merchandise, which is a different thing. And, uh, this is going to be about the Super Live P-Sound Wish 2022 Crossing Journey. It was basically, Atlas went out and confirmed that it will not feature new game announcements. Which kind of sucks, because at the past it was used as a president for announcing new Persona stuff. And uh, this was kind of disappointing. Like, I think it reflects a lot about the anniversary being like, well, shit. Because the last Persona announcement, whatever it is, and I don't don't think it's the card collabs. I really hope it's not the collabs I mentioned earlier. It needs to be amazing to make up for the poor announcements before the anniversary. Because Atlas were like, oh, we've got six announcements. We're promising all these great things. And we'll announce them throughout the year. And they didn't temper expectations properly. So people were thinking all these six would be good stuff, like, and such as, like, new games, Persona 6 news, that kind of thing, and instead it was just crap, like, wallpapers, the concert, which is fine, that would be reasonable for an announcement. All the late ports, like Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, the Persona 3, 4, and 5 releases, like, they're all good, but they should have come out years ago, and also be physical worldwide, because... Persona 5 Royal is physical worldwide, that's a good thing. But the Persona 3 and 4 are so far confirmed to be digital only. And, and Persona 4 being an Ultimax was also digital only in the West. So you can go to Asia and get a Chinese or Japanese physical version, but no English text included on them, which is like, why? It's ridiculous. So 
there's like unless you really only care about this unless you only care about the gameplay updates and only want the story like if you don't care about the new stuff you may as well just get the the, the track down the physical version of like the ps3 or 360 versions don't bother with the new stuff it's ridiculous so and then it's like other things like they had like obviously japan events but also stuff in california they had that anime expo like quote-unquote party which is still bad because we're in a pandemic and also the macaron collabs which is like why like i kind of get the appeal for like merchandise and stuff and having a cool food because that is cool but like unless you're physically in california you'll benefit from none of these events and that basically that basically shuts out most people that don't live in like the usa or don't have the money to go there and like most people just don't have the cash to go there. Like, there is also some merch for Shop Atlas as well, which uh, Shop Atlas is quite a, uh, a flawed storefront, to put it lightly. One of which, because of its horrendous shipping, and apparently the customer service is pretty bad, and I've not used it, partly because it's expensive. Like, it's, it costs, like, way too much money to import stuff from there, and then just, it's, like, the merch is nice, but it needs to be more accessible. And then, actually, on Friday, actually, they stopped taking sales for the Persona 25th Anniversary Merc. Like, oh, it's limited time Merc. So we're taking it down today. You can't pre-order it after today. And it's like, why? Like, ugh, it's meant to generate FOMO and push into capitalism, but it just, it stinks. Because some of that, the actual Merc looked pretty decent. But it still stinks because people can't really go buy them now. Like, you should just keep them up. Like, if you're in Japan, you probably could still buy the Persona 25th Merc as well. Like... And here in the West, we get, what, nothing, basically. So, yeah, it was only really, like, this 20th anniversary was only really good if you lived in Japan or California or can afford extortionate shipping costs and don't care about environmental consequences. So, not really much. So, Atlas should have tempered expectations by not promising all these announcements. They should have actually spaced them out better, like, in terms of the re-releases and ports, they should have actually been released, like, early in the year, instead of, like, now and next year, because Persona 5 Royal is coming out this month on consoles, it, it shouldn't have, like, been spaced out the way it was, so, and then actually have an actual new game, like, yes, there was Soul Hackers 2, which isn't actually a Persona game, so that's mainline SMT, which uh, has issues of its own, which I'm not going into here, I've not played the game either, so I can't comment on it, but at least they had something else not Persona-related that came out this year in terms of games, so... But there really should have been something Persona-related if you weren't going to announce anything. Most optimistic take is they had something planned for the concert but couldn't show it for some reason, but considering Persona 6 has been in development for years but not shown, understandably, it's like, you should really have something to show by now, or at least an up update saying of re-fantasy because that was announced like years ago and that also hasn't resurfaced and also whatever the Etrian Odyssey team are working on because I want to know what they're working on because I want to get excited for Etrian Odyssey or for whatever they're making so anyway I hope the actual concert itself is good they did actually open it up to international audiences so you can either like go to Japan yourself or watch it for stream live remotely which and um, that is cool to be fair that is a huge improvement so hopefully the actual concert is good but it's been overshadowed by the lack of announcements. So, yeah. Next one, Saudi Arabia. Yep, talking about these guys again. They have said they are going to invest a further 
$37.8 billion in the games industry in relating for acquisitions, including around $13 billion to acquire a leading state publisher, according to State News. So, yeah. Um, apparently it will be done by the Savvy Games Group. And obviously because it's said by State News, take it a pinch of salt, especially in like countries where like, not just Saudi Arabia, where the countries are known to be quite authoritarian, and Saudi Arabia is one of those countries. So, but the fact they're doing this, and the fact that they've already acquired a lot of things like, well, SNK, uh, stakes in companies like Nintendo and Capcom, like, I can believe they're planning to do something, so I think that something's happening, whether this amount's true or not, like, it's, it remains to be seen, like, to put it into context, 37.8 billion is around half of what Microsoft are using to buy Activision, so that's a lot of money, and the thing is like abusive human rights state. It's like to think this anti human rights state is buying all this stuff up, and like it's even more concerning than a private company because if it's a, a, an authoritarian government, it does risk that kind of intervention. And it's like I kind of get the idea of a country broadening out its investments and what gets it money because that makes sense that's good that's good governments for any country for its development but it's dirty money because of all the human rights stuff and all the links to oil and it's just it's just gross and i suspect that this if assuming this like 13 billion acquisition is actually true it will probably be a big western company like ubisoft or ea and I say Ubisoft in particular because they've had all sorts of controversies and the founding family and the still that kind of thing. Like, if they're looking to get out of it, like, I think the fact they've already said they're going to do an acquisition of a major company suggests to me that they've already signed a deal to acquire whatever publisher this is and they're just holding off on actually announcing it till a certain time, which will probably be next six months or so. But yeah, it's at least a very bad taste in the mouth all this Saudi Arabia stuff buying in the games industry like and i suspect if the actual like crown prince aka murder of jamal khashoggi actually wasn't a, such a huge gamer himself like you can actually find his steam page and you can actually see all, all the shit he plays it's uh uh it's almost good in that it's passion but it's all it's almost like worth respecting in that sense because of how dedicated he is but bad because like that passion has now got consequences and it's likely because of his passion that they chose video games to look to invest into. Now on to the next piece of news which is also kind of poetic regarding to capitalism. Uh, the creators of Disco Elysium got forced out of their uh, like company late last year and it's only been publicly revealed now via a blog post written by uh, one of the staff members who was there called Martin Lugia, I apologise in advance if that was mispronounced, the guy's Estonian, so probably sounds different over there, at least the Lugia part. Um, I found the post a bit hard to follow myself, so I had to rely on other people, like, basically summing it up, and this is basically what I came up with. Um, they said they left because it, quote-unquote, no longer represents the ethos it was founded on. It's been both the company and a cultural association that's related to the company, which apparently that's been dissolved, but the company itself still stays. It's just a bit confusing. And it was kind of hard to work out what it was. And then it says in the replies in, in one of the comments suggesting that early investors are to blame 
So we're like, basically, it's quite ironic that this basically reinforces like a lot of the capitalist messaging about the game, at least in what other people have been saying, because I've been wanting to play this game for a while, but with this news, it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy a second-hand copy because now the same people at the studio are just... It's a whole different company now. Like, it's iconic in the sense of it's such deep-rooted anti-capitalist critique. And it's it will always be remembered in that regard. But the fact that now but the companies now basically change so much because of the orders of investors wanting basically wanting more shit wanting more money especially with things like the amazon series and they're wanting a sequel and i just think it's amazing that people are like oh do you want a sequel to hit home well it's not going to hit home now because now people are like oh this oh no wait they got rid of all their staff because they wanted more money that's basically ironic and that's basically what that company is going to be known as now. And they're like, I hope the staff that ended up leaving, which um, it was involuntary. I forgot to mention that it was involuntary. So they probably got sacked by the the shareholders and investors. I just hope they're in a better place now and have found like moved on and can are onto new like more positive ventures and can take what they learned with them. So that's good for them, hopefully. Now onto the longer form bit of news, and yeah, I've talked a lot about gaming industry business stuff today, and this is the last one, I promise. Well, actually, except one thing, which comes in the visual novel section. Oops, spoiler there. Anyway, uh, this is basically about the exclusive interview that Axios got with the Nintendo worker who was fired for speaking out about unionization, or along those lines, basically. So... This person revealed themselves as Mackenzie Clifton. Uh, they filed a Labour complaint, so they're speaking publicly about that complaint because it was basically asking... They asked NOA President Doug Bowser a following question at a meeting between hundreds of Nintendo testers in January. It was all online. Uh, they asked, what does NOA think about the unionisation trend in QA in the games industry as of late? And then... The question was apparently not answered directly, and Clifton says they were contacted by an Aston Carter supervisor later in the day to direct such quote-unquote downer questions to Aston Carter, not Nintendo. Clifton alleges they are a victim of union-busting tactics designed to quash discussion of the topic. Other things in the article included uh, Clifton's personal connection to Smash Brothers. They worked on it for around two years and did a lot of uh, QA testing for it, like... It's quite an interesting article to read, actually, seeing that this person dedicated themselves to just getting this one game looking good. But it also talked about it was a fight to get credited alongside all the other testers and the mental health, like, the huge toll it took on this person's mental, mental health, like, on their mental health. It was a bit too triggering to talk about here, let's just say, but it was a bit upsetting. And they said, I hope that sharing this story can get more and more people thinking about how the game industry works and how these companies but everyone's come to know and love as providers of fun entertainment are so much more than that. And uh, they're absolutely right. Good on them for doing this. And it's really important to kind of sum this up and talk about it and for people to unionise as well as the above and just see how it all ties into capitalism. Well, just like Disco Elysium. And that's really good to see this person speaking out. And I hope they've managed to uh, make some progress on it. And it's quite timely like for me, like, because I'm currently in the UK, unfortunately, and uh, like at the time of recording, we just had a, a huge national day of action uh, called the Enough is Enough protest, and uh, 
This is something that if you're watching from outside the UK, you might actually know of because it was actually like international media like reporting on it, which is really cool. But it's all these strikes are going on the biggest like day of solidarity like since the 1990s, like people from train drivers, people across all walks of life were going on strike or showing solidarity because of like things like poor pay, the tax on working conditions, rising energy bills and stuff like that. And like, I talk about this here because it's not just limited to video games, it exists everywhere. And it's really important to talk about that. And that's basically why, um, I mean, I know when I first started the podcast, I was like very ex explicitly anti-capitalist and it's like, but now it's like, oh, I still talk about it, it's still there. Like you see it like, you see it subtly, but I don't directly spell it out because like, I think it's best to just let the stories do the talking kind of like build a sense of like optimism about it all. Like, like, Nice, like kind of that revolution optimism in the sense of like, yes, it's happening, but here's what you can do to help, or let's talk about this and how it relates to it, and that kind of thing. So like video games and the issues surrounding them. So yeah, capitalism is one of those issues, and that's not going to change for as long as we live in a capitalist society, which is uh nearing its end gradually. So that's good. And yeah, uh, support support people who go on strikes, whether it be gaming or not. Support people who try to unionise, whether they're in the gaming industry or not. And uh, that's the tea on that. Uh, well done again to uh, Mackenzie Clifton. And I uh, hope that they can get a good settlement from it. And, uh, well, more people unionise at Nintendo. Now onto the Vision Novel news. And this will be the last kind of bad news thing. Like, I know it was always really bad, but, like, good discussion on news that could be seen to be bad, aside from the Saudi Arabia stuff, which was just objectively bad. And also the let, the let goes from the Disco Elysium company. So, well, anyway. So this is about Chaos Head Noah. Yep, that happened. It was basically, like, so, like, a month ago. It was shown on the a database which is used, basically used for like to show what's been banned from Steam. Same applies to like I talked about Dunn and Trailers 2 and that was from the same database. It's, that's not actually been officially confirmed by any publisher at the time of recording this still. But Chaos said no it was. Spike chance off for like AX. Oh it's coming to Steam on August or not August, October uh, next week supposedly. At the time of recording. And now it's like, oh no, it's not now. We're having to look for alternative storefronts now for the PC, but it's still coming to Switch. And they said that, quote unquote, it wouldn't meet their standards for releasing it. And it's like, I see that as indirect pandering to the far right anti censorship crowd, because if you talk about censorship and artist integrity, you're basically pandering to that crowd who will not be satisfied with anything and don't really understand things like artist integrity or the realism of doing business, and it's just trying to talk to brick wall with those toxic people, and it's why I stay away from censorship discussions. I don't like discussing it, because it's just, it just, it lures a lot of awful people out of the woodwork, and like, I replied to the tweet on Twitter, and there was one like person who replied to me, who actually made a fair point, but they claimed to be a leftist, and at least two people who liked it, because I didn't look at it after that, were accounts that talked a lot about Lollicon, and that's exactly the kind of camp that is behind the anti-censorship stuff, whether you realise it or not. There are people that support that. And that's exactly why I do not take that seriously, and no one should take them seriously. So, 
that's basically why I just avoid it because it's just toxic and a lot of the people are just far right dickheads whether they realize it or not so they're either actively spreading this shit or just regurgitating it even if they claim to be leftist or even if they are actually leftist and uh, yeah they should have censored it like censor it as much as you need to to get approved for steam because firstly you've lost the sales and exposure you can only get on steam and secondly uh, never underestimate the speed in which visual fans will patch things so they would have unpatched it within a week and also like I know people go, oh, but Steam should have consistent policies. And, like, I do actually agree. Like, if you're going to have these hard standards, you need to actually, like, make it clear what they are. But so far, it seems that people just get sent to an app to... It's kind of like a luck of the draw from what I've seen, where, where the games get submitted and you've got to hope the person that reviews it isn't an asshole who hates anime-styled games. And I kind of get that. And I can kind of think from that perspective, they should make it very clear what's actually allowed and what's not allowed. But also, like, I don't blame him for not doing so, because, again, the whole far-right thing I mentioned earlier, the dickheads and that kind of thing, like, I don't blame them for not taking it seriously, when a lot of the anti-censorship crowd cannot be taken seriously to begin with, like, I get that. And also, something else related to it, which is a bit, like, more optimistic, kind of, is that, basically, videos have surfaced of the Chaos Head Noah TL because it got sent out early, if you bought a physical copy of the game, people actually were getting them early. And uh, the actual translation doesn't look particularly good. Um, I've, it's You can go find the opening footage. It's very stiff and awkward. Some characters like sound really samey. There's actually a mistranslation error in the very first sentence. And it's like, it's a lot about how mages were like, oh, we finally releasing Killshead Noah after all these years, but let's not give the translators the proper time. They need to translate it properly. And then now you end up with this. So onto the positive thing, a committee of zero, um, they will be releasing a patch for the Switch version instead of Steam. They were already working on this fan patch long before uh, this release come, was coming out, um, which is going to basically uh, it, like improve like text fixes to so fix some of the text issues. And they'll used to fix a lot, obviously. I think they're doing their own translation, probably. I'm not sure. Uh, bug fixes, which is also common in uh, these science adventure releases. And also restoring content that was actually censored in prior Japanese releases of Noah. Like, it used to be a bit more gory, but they got toned down because of Sero. And Sero, it, Sero is basically more, we don't mind sexual content as much, but we're going to double down on violence more. And you see that a lot with Western AAA games that get released in Japan. And whereas, like, ESRB tends to be the other way around. Like, oh, we, we don't like sexual content, but we're cool, we're cool with ultraviolence. Even though that doesn't stop them giving things like hatred and AO rating. So it's kind of weird. And that's actually a discussion worth having regarding censorship and ratings boards. That's like, that is a discussion worth having. But you can't have that again with the same people that moan about censorship for Chaos Head. So, and other games. So, you know. So yeah, it might be worth looking into hacking a Switch to play it. It's they're planning for the end of this month, I think. And that's interesting. Like... I was actually considering getting this for Miller's Game Room to, un to unbox and cover, but I'm thinking I might hold off for this patch, actually. Because apparently, with the Committee of Zero fan patches, they're like, they put a lot more love into it than mages do with their own official translations, which is really, like... It says a lot about mages, actually. So, it's a shame, really. But also, like, I'm looking forward to it. They'll do a good job. And who knows, um... I might actually finally be able to get in a science adventure again because I've not played any of the other releases yet, so. 
next up, uh, Otome Game News. This is the positive stuff. Uh, Chono Doku Hana no Kasari is coming west on Switch uh, this month, and it's going to have English. It's going to be uh, patched in to the physical and digital Japanese versions and released digitally worldwide, which is great. This is the port by Prototype. If I try to remember its English name, um, I think it's like Butterfly Blood or something. Uh, Butterfly Blood and Flower and Chains, I think. Hang on, I'm going to look it up now while I'm talking, because that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's a... Uh, let's see, it's called Butterfly's Poison Blood Chains. So that's what it's going to be called. And uh, in English, and hopefully... Gonna hopefully be a, a really good quality, and uh, it's gonna be like it's worked out because apparently it used to be on phones a while ago for like a month, but the translation was really bad, and eventually it was taken down like after a month, and then so hopefully it was redone with a proper translator. So I'm gonna be cautiously optimistic about this, and I hope and I hope it turns out right. This is also another RAT no Tome game, so there's a chance that this will come to PC via another company. And we'll get the 18 plus content, kind of like the um, the uh, the chain game, not the chain, the uh, the cup, the lunar coupling game I talked about last episode. It's really cool to see these R18 Otomes or games that are R18 in Origin coming west. So that's really good. Oh, and the best part is that one character in this game is half British. Anyway. Uh, final bit of news, uh, Aniplex.exe have announced another game after like two years. Uh, they announced Hero 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 for PC, launching in 2023 in Japan. Will most likely have English as well, but that's not been formally announced. But if it's like the previous titles, you'll probably get a simultaneous release. Uh, it's written by uh, Renya Setaguchi, who did uh, Kira Kira and Musicus. These are two Overdrive games. They're quite well known in the VN sphere. I've not played them. Musicus I do want to play though that is on Steam and it's actually quite recent so that might be on my list in the future and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this and the brand especially if they end up bringing Witch and Holy Knight to PC that would be good and now finally on to what I've been playing the final part of today's episode I've got a couple of things to talk about so let's begin uh, first one is a fan translation for a PSP RPG called uh, Soul Trigger this was a uh, very late PSP release, came out in like 2012 in Japan. It was released by Imagipop themselves under their Imagipop JRPG label. So yeah, they developed and published this game. It's very similar to the Seventh Dragon 2020 games in terms of tone and gameplay. I mean, they also developed those as well. Uh, the main differences are a more religious and sci-fi theme. We're focused around a rebellion with the church. And you've got a preset cast with a story. Really cool characters. Uh, really badass music, and uh, it looks beautiful on the emulator. Uh, I'm enjoying this one, because yeah, I'm playing emulator, and I'll get onto wine in a minute. Uh, it's a 20 to 25 hour game, so it's not too long. I have uh, about halfway through. I'm taking a break for now, because it does get a bit repetitive, but that's okay. Um, it's got... I like it. I've, it's got... The main thing I like about it is, like, it's one of those dungeon crawler games where, like, the music and the gameplay and everything comes together. And it's so perfect, and I love it so much. The reason why I'm playing on emulator is because like there's a scene towards the towards the end of the first half of the game, which I've gone past now, where the game just crashes when you apply the patch, 
and that's basically like the patch was a test patch. It's like you start is the emulator. It's got oh, it's just got a big uh, T E S T there. So that's just a thing. And when you get to this part, which is basically without spoiling, is basically after you go onto an airship and you defeat a particular boss, and you go to the top of the airship, and then you have a scene. And after that, you go back to HQ, and it's basically the end of the cutscenes after the HQ is when the crash happens. So what to you to get around it is you open up an unpatched Japanese version, then play this scene, and then you save, and then you load the save on the English fan-patched version, and you can continue the game from there. And that's basically what I've done, and it's a lot easier doing this on an emulator than in the actual like a PSP or a Vita which in Venice playing PSP games at this point is vastly superior on PSP hardware to begin with anyway. Like, don't bother with it if it's on the the PSP, because that thing's old. Or the Vita, actually. Like, it's good on the Vita if you're traveling portably, but if you want a proper, like, full-on HD experience, like, mate, just use an emulator. It's so much better, and a PSP game can play on basically anything. So, yeah, it's great, and I do like it. Um, I'll probably end up recommending it at some point in the video, I think, because it is just that good. And I think a lot of people will overlook it because it was never localised in the West. And perhaps maybe if it was localised, which I think would have been very unlikely because it was a late PSP release, it probably would have ended up in a lot of people's top 10, especially if you're into, like, Seventh Dragon or badass music and that kind of thing. And it's nice. I just wish it got... A bit more exposure. I think it would have actually done well if it was on the 3DS as well. Like, have it be a multiplat between the PSP and the 3DS. Like, Imagipop did develop a few 3DS games. They did, they did Stellar Glow, which is the one most known in the West, which was also their last game. But they also did a Toshin Toshi game. And if you don't know what Toshin Toshi is, it's actually an Alice Soft IP. So it's actually an all ages entry in a porn game series for the 3DS developed outside of Alice Soft, which is weird to be honest. Like that's just weird. And but considering that that's that that's a dungeon crawler as well. I know that's a dungeon crawler. Like I think a port of Stole Trigger for the 3DS as well would have been great. Make it a proper multiplat. And I think that for 3DS version at least would have come to the West. The PSP version probably wouldn't have done, but 3DS, yeah, that would have done. So, it is a great game. I like it. I'm taking a break from it. I'm going to come back to it, and I'm going to finish it, and it's going to be great. And see these badass characters and all their beauty in the editors and just, just high-quality amazingness. Uh, next one is uh, Project Cross Zone 2. Um, I actually went away, like, last weekend, I think. So I went out somewhere. It was one reason why I uh, went, I uploaded my last video early, which was a Nipponichi video about their vision novels. I should have talked about at the beginning, actually, but who cares? I uploaded it early because I was going away, and when I went away, I took Project Cross and turned me. Started it, and it was great. It's like one of my other backlog games, especially the handhelds. That was one I really wanted to play, and I'm playing it and uh, having a ton of fun. I love the first Project Cross Zone, but this game is a lot better. Like. It's basically like the Cross Zone series is basically of the ultimate strategy RPG crossover with characters mostly from JRPGs, fighting games, and and uh, other IPs from Namco, Capcom, and Sega, but also two Nintendo guest characters. Well, actually three. So two franchises, three characters, which is basically Fiora from Xenoblade and uh, Chrome and Lucina from Fire Emblem Awakening, which is so cool. 
I thought it was so cool just having that there and having more characters that you recognize. But the main thing I like this about this game is the fact that like it's shorter than the first game. So this like Project Cross Zone, the original, has about 40 stages, including five prologue stages as well. So technically 45, but the prologue ones are so short that they're more like tutorials anyway. But with uh, this game, you've got 41 stages and also five prologue stages. But with this one, I'm already closer to the halfway mark in terms of the main stages because, like, they're sh like, even they're about the same length as Project Cross Zone 2, but it's like tweaks the gameplay to make them a lot better to play. Like, in Project Cross Zone, for example, if you did a counter attack, you could only, like, do half of what you can do in Project Cross Zone 2 instead of actually extending it. So instead of only having to do half of the, only having time to do half the attacks you'd do if you were doing a regular turn. You could do a full turn instead, which makes it a lot easier. And then things like with character cutscenes, like you don't have to wait until you see like other characters appear. Like if you like trigger both solos and the uh, if you trigger both solos and the uh, partners like support nearby units, um, instead of seeing like four cutscenes, you'll only see like free basically like this first like supporting you don't see it and that speeds it up as well and other things like that you can also like use items as well anytime and cure your units with the items instead of going up to them little things like that and it just makes it so much better and a lot easier to play and i really 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 like it and i'm gonna end up finishing i'm gonna keep that game take it when i go out you can only like sit down for like an hour play session. It's probably going to end up being an essential RPG, but I'll end up recommending on a video at some point. Which, speaking of which, it's going to be great, just like the first game. And um, hopefully, I can get onto another 3DS game or another backlogged like handheld game soon, or even home console, because that'd be cool too. Backlogging that, that's going to be great. And also, like, I love the new characters, like having especially the Nintendo ones, so like from Viora, obviously. Uh, Chrome and Lucina, and uh, also these turning ones are good as well, like them appearing as a unit and having them do the objection attack and you get to see objection in Japanese appear when they uh, annihilate an enemy at the end of their special, it's a lot of fun, and I love it. I'm starting to get a bit tired now, so I'm going to uh, stop for today. I think it's probably shorter than what the previous episodes were, but that's okay, because I've got videos going up and they're going to be nice and long and it's going to be great and uh, it's going to be worth playing. And checking out so um thank you so much for listening today if you like what you see please like comment subscribe and so on and so forth thank you very much five star reviews give it a boost recommend thank you and goodbye